Good morning, Mid-Missouri. This is not Gary Nolan today. This is Dave Rowland. I'm the director of litigation for the Freedom Center of Missouri. Uh, listeners may hear me on a weekly segment that Gary does on Think Tank Thursdays. I usually come on around the 11 o'clock hour, and we talk about... Uh, Issues in the country from a constitutional perspective, and, and we frequently get around to talking about the work that the Freedom Center of Missouri is doing um, here in Missouri to try and advance individual liberty and limits on uh, on government. And uh, so Gary had to be away for today, and he asked me to fill in, and I always jump at that opportunity. I love being able to come on and uh, talk to you guys. We are going to be following the normal Think Tank Thursday pattern for the most part. Uh, we're going to be talking to Jim Babka at about 9.35. We're going to talk to the Show Me Institute at the top of the 10 o'clock hour. We'll have someone from the RNC around 10.20. And then we'll talk to Representative Hardwick, who has an issue on the ballot this fall that Missourians are going to need to think about. So uh, I think we've got a really interesting show lined up today. I hope that you're going to enjoy it as much as I am. If you would like to call in and chat at any point about what we're discussing, the number here is 1-800-529-5572 or 573-874-9390. I thought I would kick off this morning with a little talk about free speech. It's one of my favorite topics. Uh, I litigate in this area frequently, and so I, I hear about a lot of different cases. I hear I get calls all the time with people asking questions about it. And uh, there was a particular situation that popped up in this last week. Um, that made me think about um, you know free speech and and um, the way that that we uh, deal with it. You may not have heard, uh, but you may have. There was an issue in Los Angeles this week. Uh, the uh, woman who was the head of the local municipal government in the city of Los Angeles uh, turns out. She said some pretty ugly things about one of her colleagues. Um, uh, one of her colleagues is a white man who has an African-American adopted son. And um, she, she said some pretty hateful things. She said basically she felt like uh, her colleague used his son as an accessory the way that a woman would a purse. Um, and she called him a little monkey. Um, it, it was not good uh not good at all the reason that this all came to light the reason people know about the things that were said is someone made a secret recording of uh these local lawmakers uh as they were having a conversation and the conversation took place uh at the headquarters for the los angeles labor federation in other words it's it's like a union stronghold so um, the people who were there are great friends of the labor movement in the city of Los Angeles. And when the Labor Federation found out that the uh, newspaper, the L.A. Times, was going to run this story, they sent a very nasty letter to the L.A. Times and they said, you can't say this. They said this conversation was illegally recorded and therefore you can't talk about what was said on this recording. Um, 
let me tell you, that's absolutely incorrect as a matter of constitutional law. So particularly when we're talking about um, established journalists, when we're talking about a, a well-known media establishment, um, the courts have been absolutely clear. No, 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 no. You, you don't get to stop them from printing the news doesn't matter how they got this information. It doesn't matter whether it was illegally obtained. The fact of the matter is these things were said. It is newsworthy. And the First Amendment does not allow uh, anyone, including the courts, to prevent these news media from sharing this information once it's out there. So uh, that, that was the first free speech issue um, that, that kind of uh, came to my mind today but then there's another big free speech issue that is kind of hanging out there uh i don't know how many of the listeners here uh have been following the situation with alex jones the um head of Infowars. he has been in the midst of a lot of legal issues himself he um uh, made statements following the Sandy Hook shooting in Connecticut several years ago where he basically said, this is all made up. It never actually happened. Children did not die. Uh, the people who are saying that their children were killed are crisis actors who are being paid um, and uh, they're all lying to everyone. Um, this, of course, is horrifically untrue. Uh, and it did lead to real world consequences for, um, for many of these parents. Uh, unfortunately, some of Alex Jones's followers started to call and send awful, horrible messages via mail and email, uh, to these parents. And there were even some reports that, uh, People went to the graves where these children were buried and urinated on the children's graves. Um, horrible story. Absolutely horrible story. And so the parents sued Alex Jones for defamation. Um, and this is something that, that people talk about all the time when, uh, when someone, usually a political adversary, says something that they don't like. They say, oh, well, we're going to sue you for defamation. Well, that's exactly what happened here. Now, as a First Amendment attorney, I tell people defamation is almost always the incorrect answer. Um, we had a situation here in Columbia uh, about 10 years ago where a local attorney filed a lawsuit for defamation because a local journalist wrote something critical about what his front yard looked like after he cut down a bunch of trees, right? So this attorney goes out and files an actual lawsuit um, complaining about the fact that a journalist criticized his his lawn. Um, I stepped in and helped out. It was Mike Martin was, was the journalist. I stepped in and I helped out and uh, got that suit dropped. But, you know, it, it was shocking to me uh, revisiting the legal issues like the cases that deal with it, just how wrong this attorney was. I mean, there was no chance of success in this lawsuit ever. Um, and all he was trying to do was shut up someone that had, had rubbed him the wrong way. And that is not how you're supposed to use the law. So, uh, we've got this situation with Alex Jones and, uh, the word came down yesterday that uh, a jury in Connecticut has awarded some of these parents uh, slightly less than a billion dollars. Now, 
are they ever going to see anything in the neighborhood of a billion dollars uh, from Alex Jones and or InfoWars or the company that controls InfoWars? Well, we don't know about that. Um, I wouldn't be too optimistic, but uh, the judgment is out there to be enforced at this point. Um, and a number of people, particularly people on the political right, were stepping up and saying, oh, well, what about free speech? All he did was express ideas. And here he's being punished for that. Isn't that a First Amendment problem? Well, in some circumstances, it might be. In this circumstance, it is not. And I want to clarify a little bit uh, why that is. So um, Alex Jones actually had some First Amendment defenses he could have raised in response to this lawsuit. I want to be clear about that. Um, and where he really got himself in trouble is he fooled around. He didn't comply with court orders. He didn't comply with discovery. And ultimately that resulted in a default judgment. And what happens when there's a default judgment is, is you lose your ability to assert legal claims that you might have won on. So in other words, if you, um, yank the court around enough so severely that they feel like you are abusing the legal process and refusing to do what you are required to do as a participant in litigation, they do have the authority to say, okay, you have defaulted in this case. Now, we had a situation like this over in St. Louis City against uh, Kim Gardner, the uh, St. Louis Circuit Attorney. Uh, I represent uh, a journalist named John Solomon, who had requested documents from the circuit attorney's office, uh, and rather than simply pursue uh, her legal defenses in the context of the litigation, she yanked the court around, much like Alex Jones was yanking the court around uh, in this Connecticut case. And sure enough, she ended up getting a default judgment entered against her, just like Alex Jones got a default judgment entered against him in this case. And so, um, long, long story short, um, anyone who wants to say, well, the court is denying Alex Jones his right to pursue his First Amendment, you need to understand it's his own doggone fault, right? You don't get to yank a court around and ignore its orders and defy the the rules that apply to everybody that goes into a court um, without running the risk that you're going to get a default slapped on you. That's exactly what happened here. And I think it was, um, quite frankly, a correct result. If we don't have judges enforcing the rules, um, then you get into these situations where people think that they can just defy the law. And, and if you get that kind of a situation, you have literal anarchy. Um, you have people who cannot be held, refuse to be held accountable uh, to the courts. And, and that's a horrible system uh, for us to be in, a horrible situation for us to be in. So um, those are my initial thoughts, talking about uh, the, the whole issues with, with uh, First Amendment law and defamation that we've got right now. If, if you have any questions about this, feel free to call in, share your perspectives. Uh, the number here again is 1-800-529-5572, 573-874-9390 if you're local. Uh, we are heading into a commercial break right now. We'll come back on the other side. If we've got any calls, we'll deal with
both and then if not i'll riff a little bit more on this subject before we get to our next guest thanks for listening in this is dave roland filling in for gary nolan on the zimmer radio network welcome back this is dave roland filling in for gary nolan on the zimmer radio network uh we started off the show talking a little bit about free speech talking about uh the idea of defamation and how uh courts are required to maintain first amendment protections for speech even if somebody has been sued for defamation but those protections only go so far there are limits um we do have a caller let's go ahead and go online to rick rick you are on the air on the gary nolan show how are you doing this morning good hey i wanted to question you about election fraud in missouri i all right we can do that i've been to several meetings where it's been pointed out but i was at one the other night which just stunned me um from St. Charles County, a candidate protested the outcome of the August 2nd uh, primary. Mm-hmm. Under Missouri law, this case has to be expedited and heard within 10 days. And this St. Charles County candidate, the case has still not been heard. The Attorney General of Missouri could care less. The uh, Secretary of State could care less, and it's slowly working its way through the courts, but it's going to be too late for the November election. And uh, is this is this the uh, Ollie Grafe case? Is that the it one? Is. It is. So if I remember correctly, and I may be incorrect on this, so correct me if I'm wrong, but if I, if I remember correctly, she filed this in federal court, didn't she? Well, no, it was moved to federal court by the court system in uh, St. Charles County. Huh, okay. Uh, well, I, I must have misunderstood. So so I looked into this case um, some time ago, and uh, the, I don't think it was teed up as an election contest. I don't think she was contesting the outcome of her election, was she? Because she, she, so if I remember correctly, uh, this was a race where several thousand votes were cast and she got, I think, in the neighborhood of like 5% of the vote. Um, So there was no question that she actually won. Uh, And if I recall correctly, her her petition um, raised all kinds of different issues and many of them were related, I think, to the 2020 election, if I remember correctly. And again, it's been a while since I've, I've seen this case, but I remember looking at this case. I looked at the petition that was filed and uh, honestly, I, I didn't see anything there. Now, uh, to the extent that it was an election contest where she was saying, uh, well, look, the, the result of my election was incorrect. Um, that is something they're supposed to have a preliminary hearing uh, within just a few days of the uh, petition being filed. And then. Uh, there is a limit to which the courts can change the result of an election. We're now well past that limit. Um, so so maybe it's a problem uh, if she actually did say, well, the result of my of my election was incorrect. Uh, but I don't recall that from the from the petition. Um, so. Long story short, I do remember looking at this case and um, I just I didn't think there was any substance there. Yeah, well, uh, I I understand that this was being done just to bring to life how they were manipulating the count, whether it be um, 
fake ballots or manipulating the voter counting machines. Yeah, so she and, so, so this this is part of the problem. Okay, if you're contesting the outcome of an election, uh I believe you are supposed to name your opponent as the defendant. And if I recall, she named the Secretary of State and um, the the county clerk over there, as as the defendants, which you know, I don't think is the proper procedure for a regular election contest. And so yeah, I, I knew she had she had tossed in a lot of stuff about voting machines and things like that. But mm-hmm. um, again, I, I reviewed that uh, and and just didn't think that there was any legitimate substance there. Well, where it comes to me is just like with the uh, twenty twenty election with Trump. Here's the evidence. We have it. But the court said, ah, we ain't going to see that. We ain't going to hear that. And apparently that's what's the same thing is being done to her is that that she is being told, ah, we ain't going to hear that. Even though she has the evidence of what they did to manipulate the outcome of the election. And uh, so my reason for this call is, you know, as long as we have officials refusing people constitutional right, like this lady to a 10 day had to be heard by a court within 10 days. Well, that that's not a constitutional right. So that, that is actually that the law there, there is a statute that governs election contests in Missouri. Um, so it's not a constitutional right. It's a statute. Um, and, and as far as, uh, the requirements of the statute, you also have to sue the correct individual. You have to sue the right party. Um, and, and so, again, I don't know how the courts have been handling this in the last, say, six weeks since I looked at this uh, case. But, um, but yeah, I would not be surprised at all if they, if they dismissed anything re- related to an election contest for failure to comply with the statute. Um, so as far as the other claims claims that are not related to the actual outcome of her election, um, then, uh, you know, the, the courts are not under any obligation to deal with those within any particular time frame. They can deal with those on a regular litigation time frame because they're no longer within the election contest uh, statute. So anyway, um, let's uh, I, I do want to use that as a springboard because there is an issue here uh, and that issue is. There is a crisis of confidence when it comes to our elections, not only in the state here, but nationwide. And uh, as I mentioned last week on the show when I was a guest, uh, we're going to be taking on that issue right here in Missouri. Uh, In Springfield, the county clerk has sued an individual who asked for election-related records. She asked for cast vote records that would help the voting population have more confidence in the validity of elections. These records would either reveal that um, electronic voting machines were being misused, that they were being manipulated in some way, or they would show that they were not being manipulated. Um, The problem is, is as of right now, citizens have no access to these records. And so the case that I'm going to be taking on in Greene County is 
geared towards making sure that citizens do have access to these records so that we can either confirm that um, the election system is working properly or if there are flaws that we can expose those. We're going to keep talking about some of these issues later in the show. Right now, uh, we're going into a break. We'll be back on the other side talking to Jim Babka from Downsize DC. This is Dave Roland on the Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show. I can no longer remain in today's Democratic Party that's under the complete control of an elitist cabal of warmongers who are driven by cowardly wokeness, who divide us by racializing every issue and stoking anti-white racism, who actively work to undermine our God-given freedoms that are enshrined in our Constitution, who are hostile to people of faith and spirituality, who demonize the police but protect criminals at the expense of law-abiding Americans, who believe in open borders, who weaponize the national security state to go after their political opponents, and above all, who are dragging us ever closer to nuclear war. Now, I believe in a government that's of the people, by the people, and for the people. Unfortunately, today's Democratic Party does not. Instead, it stands for a government that is of, by, and for the powerful elite. Now, I'm calling on my fellow common sense, independent-minded Democrats to join me in leaving the Democratic Party. If you can no longer stomach the direction that the so-called woke Democratic Party ideologues are taking our country, then I invite you to join me. Welcome back. This is Dave Rowland filling in for Gary Nolan. That was Tulsi Gabbard, uh, a apparently former Democrat who is kind of making her declaration of independence from the Democratic Party. Um, it was a, a very unusual statement, clearly, and one that you know may have some repercussions. And to discuss those, we've got Jim Babka from Downsize DC on the line. Jim, welcome to the Gary Nolan Show. Thank you. I'm sure this will be much better than when Gary's normally here. He's still trying to master this radio. Thing. <laughs> well, thank you for, for bearing with an amateur. Uh, I, I, I cannot hope to fill Gary's shoes uh, when it comes to this hosting gig, but I am thrilled to have you on the show. So, uh, you know... Tulsi has has not always been a, a conventional Democrat, but it's it was kind of surprising to me to hear her make this statement this week. And I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this. Well, it's not surprising to me. I think this was a long time coming, and I actually was at an event that was put on as part of the the, the Rand Paul Ron Paul Empire. Uh, they have one of the organizations in that loop is uh, Young Americans for Liberty, and she was a keynote speaker there. Oh, okay. And gave a, gave a speech to a crowd of college students, primarily, mostly male, uh, that she did a very good job uh, talking to them. She does avoid talking about economic issues when she's in front of Republicans, <laughs> uh, because she was a Bernie Sanders supporter at one sure, time. yeah. So uh, that shouldn't be forgotten. I think that's kind of an important part of the package here. But I think there's, Dave, I think there's actually two things going on here that are really, really interesting. That dropped on Tuesday. It was what your, the clip that's being played is from a podcast that she was launching. And so she launched the podcast with a rather dramatic announcement that she was leaving the Democratic Party, and that was enough to make the top five, the above-the-fold news cycle. And every cable news channel picked that up. So it's a great way to start your podcast. The good marketing uh, is what you're saying. Exactly. But this, there, there was another event at the same time. He, she was also on Joe Rogan. Oh, yeah. And, 
and that same day. And so the clip came, a clip came out <clears throat> and that went wide on YouTube where she talked about how Biden is driving us to nuclear war. And that by itself would have made news too. So she really did a lot to kind of, you know, blow this, this show up and get it off to a huge start on day one. These, the fact that these two things dropped on the same day was coordinated. It's not accidental. It's intentional. Uh, it's marketing. But is it just for getting a podcast started or is she, does she aspire to run for president? Is she going to join? Run for president again because she's run before, right? Right. Join the forward party now, maybe, uh, which is, I don't know. I don't think they're gonna be able to get enough ballot access to, to warrant her attention. Or is she going to make a run at the Republican nomination? Maybe with an eye on being on the ticket. Uh, maybe with an eye towards uh, landing a cabinet position in a in a Republican administration. Maybe she becomes a major player in the presidential campaign. I think, I suspect this is about bigger things than just trying to launch a podcast. Well, so here's here's a question though. Um, do you think that that's a realistic possibility? I mean, I, I think that with all of the current talk within the Republican Party, among Republicans, about rhinos... Um, do they really want to embrace someone on a presidential ticket who up until last week was herself a Democrat? I mean, it seems to me like that would be a very unusual move, uh, given the p- current political climate. What do you think? Well, Republicans seem eager to embrace her and the rhetoric that she gave. I watched a good chunk of the podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. The rhetoric she provided was was solidly uh, down the line. Uh, for cultural conservatives at this hour, she was speaking in their in their language. Oh, yeah. she was doing yeah. so very artfully. Um, the, 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 she's very she's got a very smooth delivery. Uh, even the clip that you played, she repeatedly used the phrase "of the people, by the people, for the people" because she wanted people to kind of pick up that Lincoln sense, right? She's and the whole thing was very well constructed. And well, and out. she she was also focusing very much on the anti wokeness kind of thing, and I mean yes. that that's the kind of thing that does appeal to a lot of conservative voters these days. So, right. um, she you're right, she definitely has has found the vocabulary. Um, and and so I, I I don't think it's insincere uh, as, 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 as insincere as a politician can be. I mean, well, yeah, the, there's the rub, right. Jim. <laughs> but, uh, how, how sincere are politicians on any scale? Uh, right. I, I think that that that's something that that I would have my you know radar up about. But but again, you know. But she um, could fit in real well in a, in, a, in an administration, uh, a Trump or DeSantis administration. I mean, maybe there's a position for her, like and, a cabinet post honestly, or something. And honestly, you know, I come kind of from the Ron Paul, you know, Rand Paul type of, you know, uh, wing, so to speak. And and I I look at her and say there's nobody that's filling those shoes on the issue of war better than she is. The stuff that she's saying, the warnings that she's put out, the consistent record that she's had on these issues as someone who serves in the military Mm -hmm. to this day. She's in the reserves to, you know, as someone who has uh, put on the uniform to go out and suggest that we, you know, our politicians are way, not only way too cavalier, the charge she made on the Rogan show was specifically that there is profiteering going on, pretty massive and epic, and they're basically playing with fire. And she wanted people to understand that the consequences to them, them being Biden and the political class versus you and I and everybody listening are way, way different. They have plans for where they go. They actually think that there is some way in which they can win a nuclear war. Uh, this is, this, this is, they've thought this since, 
Well, they've thought this since Kennedy. Uh, they, they, you know, John Kennedy was asked on two different occasions by the Joint Chiefs of Staff to start a nuclear war. The Joint Chiefs of Staff felt that such a thing was winnable if they jumped first. And so uh, they, they have places to go. They have uh, bunkers, and, and they'll be safe uh, in a way that we won't. They'll eat, and they'll be provided for in a way that we won't. And so it's, uh, and they will gain more power because people will be angry. People almost always tend to side with a politician at the beginning of the war. And if you've forgotten what that's like, I take you all the way back to earlier this year. We were all so very young back then when everybody started putting Ukraine flags up on their Facebook profiles, getting really lathered and excited about the, you know, the injustice that uh, Putin uh, invading Ukraine was. And, and they were all ready to commit uh, and, and did. The government has consistently, bipartisan, on a bipartisan basis, uh, under a Democratic president, has committed massive amounts of resources and backing uh, to uh, to uh, Ukraine in this situation, to Zelensky. So, so I, let's, I think- let's explore that a little bit, because I'm actually one of those people who still has a Ukraine flag on my Facebook profile page. Um, I, do you just have no sympathy for a nation that gets invaded by a, an extremely powerful neighbor? Are they just supposed to lay down and take it? Well, I don't know what sympathy has to do with the matter. Uh, bad things happen all across the world. And it is not the job of the United States military to play police. It's not the job of our government to do it. We definitely cannot trust the politicians to do it. If you look at the history of U.S. interventionism, you find again and again that it's based on lies, uh, that it's executed badly. And that it creates long-term consequences down the road. And everybody, you know, when the long-term consequences arrive, everybody pretends like that stuff arrived in a vacuum. They have no clue. You know, when the uh, when terrorists storm uh, the embassy in Iran and take hostages, you know, bomb Iran, bomb Iran, they said at the time. But nobody here knew that our CIA had overthrown uh, the, the democratically elected government, staged a coup in 1953, out of that very same embassy, and to those students who took over that embassy, they, they knew symbolically exactly what it was that they were doing. Everybody else in their country knew, but we were completely blind and oblivious, and our CIA didn't admit its involvement until this century, uh, just a handful of years ago, frankly. I mean, we've known for a while, but they just admitted it just a handful of years ago. So, so Jim, how absolute is your is your... Um, non-interventionism here. So let's let's take it back to another um, tyrant. Uh, you know, when when Hitler says, "I want you know the Sudetenland." See, this is uh, where everybody always goes. Well, yeah, not yeah. I, I think well, it listen, is not everybody, an interesting not everybody. historical analogy. So there's there's two things. Not number one, not everybody's Hitler. Uh, I would invite Perry Willis uh, to. He's been on this show before uh, with Gary. He's written out uh, you know this this history and explained how it works. Uh, not everybody's Hitler. Uh, England, uh, Ch- Chamberlain did not have the ability to attack back at that time. Now, you're going to start getting calls on this, and this is not my area of expertise, and this is not where I would like to take this, this interview because I am not competent to make this argument. But it's the only example you can point to out of countless others. And the fact of the matter is the real lesson of, of Hitler is that we, he was a, a soldier in World War I, and World War I was a war of choice by the United States. And it was a bloody war, and it was arriving at a stalemate. And Woodrow Wilson, who campaigned to keep us on the basis that he kept us out of war, no sooner got elected than he began to work to get us into that war. When he got reelected, tell you what, Jim, real quick, we, we are uh, we're about to head into a break. Let's pick this up on the other side. Um, I think there are other historical examples we can look to, and and. If you want to go in another direction, maybe we can. But I'm really interested in this. I want to I want to pick your brain about it a little bit. So 
come back. We'll be on the other side of this break. If you like to call in, the number is 800-529-5572 or 573-874-9390. This is Dave Rowland filling in for Gary Nolan. We're back. This is Dave Rowland filling in for Gary Nolan today. We've got Jim Babka on the line. We've been talking about Tulsi Gabbard's defection from the Democrat Party and what it might pretend. And as we were going into the break, um, we started talking a little bit about the concept of being anti-war. Um, and and Jim was talking a little bit, and Jim, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, he was pointing out the dramatic amount of resources that the United States government has been pouring into uh, the war in Ukraine. And he um, talked about the dangers of nuclear war. And and essentially, I think the, the insinuation was that um, the United States should have no involvement whatsoever in that particular conflict, I believe he was suggesting in part um, due to the potential for uh, nuclear war that might ultimately involve the United States. That's my understanding. Did, did I get that much correct, Jim, or, or do you want to clarify yeah, anything? No, no, that's accurate, except, uh, you know, the United States is, is not a thing. There is a government, and it's the government specifically that I think the politicians in particular that I think should stay out of these situations. Uh, I have a, uh, a gentleman I know named Steve who actually went over during the first 30 days of the war. He spent four weeks uh, in in uh, Poland uh, helping refugees. Mm-hmm. He, he volunteered. He's, he's a wealthy man, and he had the resources to do it. Any individual American, I think the Logan Act should be repealed. Any individual American that wants to do any play any part in any of this has the right. Dave, if you want to strap on a gun or a first aid mm-hmm. kit, whatever it is, and you want to go, uh, more power to you. But when our government gets involved, historically, they tend to make matters worse, not better, uh, particularly over time. And then people pretend and they're shocked by the consequences of something. In fact, they don't have any. They've long forgotten about a war that other people have been sulking about on the other side. And when something else happens down the road, they don't understand why that happened. Sure. I I think that's fair. So the question that I'm really interested in here, though, is... Um, I, I am also anti-war. Like, I, I think war is a horrible thing. Um, but I think the question is, are there ever circumstances where in a conflict between foreign powers, um, the United States would have moral justification for assisting one side over the other? And, and so, of course, naturally, the most prominent historical parallel would be World War II. But it's not the only one. So, um, you know. Yeah, and again, I'm exactly, not I'm not endorsing exactly the one. It's exactly the one that George H. W. Bush referred to when we went after Saddam Hussein. The first well, yeah, and, and I that was George that was w. the next Bush historical parallel I was going to kind of point to. But yeah, but but so I, I guess the question is, are you suggesting that if you have um, a tyrant in one country who decides they're going to invade and presumably take over a neighboring country? Is the response simply to let them do it? Well, let them do it is, one, is, is not normally how these things go. I mean, there's usually some resistance to that, and there's a war, and it's in, in increasingly in our times. But I'm talking about from the, the United States government's perspective. Is the, is the United States government's proper role here to simply be a bystander and let the cards fall where, where no, they they're may? they're supposed to preserve and protect and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. They're supposed to protect our borders. That's their purpose. So that so that sounds like a yes that that what happens in other nations simply does not concern us sufficiently that it, it well, no, would justify it the U.S. Us. government. This is what what's kind of bothersome to me. Uh, I'm okay. not happy about what Putin did either. I don't think it's completely inexcusable. I think it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
But again, if you go back to the beginning of the year, a lot of people have forgotten this, but there was a period of about a month and a half, two months, where we were getting constant daily, almost daily reports from the New York Times and CNN and so on and so forth. Putin's got troops on the border. He's talking about going to war. He's doing this. He's doing that. And this went on for six or seven weeks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and it started to look like it was never going to happen because almost all those reports were false. And the president's rhetoric, and we found out a lot of this stuff was coming straight from the White House, even while it was going on, it was the White House saying that these things were happening. They wanted war in the last few days. And Tulsi points this out when she's, uh, uh, when she's on uh, with Joe Rogan. In the last few days, the president of the United States lets fall with the, in, in the presence of a group of uh, very wealthy businessmen, very casually, that, we're pro- that we may well be on the verge of apocalypse. And he ended up using that phrase yesterday. Uh, suggesting that, you know, we are on this, it's, we're, there's this constant push, 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 push to try to get Putin to go nuclear almost. It's like, you're, you're not really going to do it. It's like taking a stick and poking a bear. And this is not diplomacy. This is not smart. And so, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not fond of the idea whatsoever because historically it repeatedly gets us into more trouble. And in this particular case, the trouble could be nuclear war. We may be as close as, this may be one of the three or four times that we've been close to nuclear war uh, in the era, uh, and, and it's I think a lot of this has to do. So with I'd like I'd like to explore something there. I'd like to explore something there real quick. Um, I understand the concept of a self fulfilling prophecy, and that sounds kind of like what you're suggesting that maybe Putin didn't actually intend to invade, but we kept on saying he's going to do it, he's going to do it, he's going to do it, and then finally he felt like he had no choice but to do it. And it's kind of similarly, it sounds to me like you're saying. Um, we're now warning, hey, he may use a nuke, he may use a nuke, he may use a nuke until ultimately he feels like he needs to do that. Is is that what you're saying? So I'm five foot six tall, and I don't go out picking fights with guys Gary Nolan's size. I don't keep poking and poking and poking and trying to get them to hit me. Well, but so, I, I don't think saying, so, so, hey, so the, he's, no, I'm, he's I'm lifting his fist, he's pulling it back behind point. his ear, I think the, maybe he's going to hit me. I don't know that that's inviting someone to strike. Right. Uh, describing what is happening is very different from saying, go on and do it, you sissy. I mean, it, it, well, it's it a very different it concept. Wasn't, it wasn't just words. It was also actions that have been going on for since the 90s. Uh, there's a variety of steps that we have taken to make the, 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 that uh, Putin give him justification that he is not as secure as he was. Uh, particularly the biggest one, there's a whole list of them, but the biggest one is the expansion of NATO into uh, formerly Warsaw Pact uh, countries. Well, no, I understand. I, I think there's reasonable room for, for conversation about the role that NATO played in making Putin decide that he wanted to invade. Like, I, 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 there's room for conversation about that. I don't think that um, that, that necessarily means that okay. someone so forced got, him. Dave, we've only got a couple seconds left. Here's, the, here's, the, here's where we need to be. The, the nuclear, because nuclear war is a risk, the United States is the only one that has the ability to put someone to get the table. All his incentives are to keep on fighting because he's doing it with our money, and so he has no incentive to quit. Uh, the only way that this can be solved is if the United States decides it wants everybody at the table, and it does have the power to begin to try to draw out some kind of peace agreement, and it will mean some concessions on Ukraine's part. But well, Jim, we gotta we gotta wrap it up the there. Thanks for calling in. You and I need to talk more at some point. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to a break. This is Dave Roland filling in for Gary Nolan on the Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show. 